Well, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4 today. We're in a challenging text today. I don't mind telling you this is one that uh, some would want to skip over. And honestly, if I weren't working verse by verse through a book, this might not be my chosen passage to teach today. But I've enjoyed the study time, and I hope that you want to have greater insight to God's truth uh, in this text. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to look at the first five verses today. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected. Let's just say amen to that. Everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected. It, it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Kay and I regularly will pause before we eat and just thank God for the food. Uh, some might say, well, that's a little old-fashioned. Uh, and some might see us in a restaurant and say, well, look at them. My grandparents used to do that. But I think that's important for us to do just to pause and recognize for this moment, God, we recognize this food and this opportunity to eat it together is from you. It's good. And we thank you for it. And in this case, Paul is saying that when we recognize God's goodness and his declaration that it is all available to us to eat, when we do that, it's holy unto him and holy unto us. It's God's provision for us. Maybe you're not in the routine of doing that. I would encourage you to start it. Now, I'll just tell you, it's gonna be awkward for the first week or so. But give it a week and see how it goes. Ask your family, let's just pause and pray. Ask your friends when you're out to dinner, let's pause and pray. Uh, when you're at lunch, when you're at breakfast, pause and pray. That's not the heart of this message that I'm teaching today, but I didn't wanna let that pass without us just mentioning that. What I wanted to speak to you about today is that the, according to this passage, some people are going to depart from the faith. And Paul is alerting us to that. In the summer of 2019, two high-profile people renounced the faith that they had in God, Marty Sampson and Josh Harris. Sampson was a songwriter and a worship leader for Hillsong, and Harris was a pastor and a best-selling author of Christian books. They represent people that the Holy Spirit emphatically stated would depart from the faith. I sensed an overwhelming sorrow and sadness as I was reading back through their stories, listening to their words and reading the heartfelt uh, expressions that they had. Sadness is an appropriate response when doing that. But we should not be shocked when people depart from the faith. The Holy Spirit wants us to recognize that that is going to happen. In fact, this is the first point that I wanted to make out of this passage. Don't be surprised when some people depart from the faith. God is not surprised by it. Throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, the scriptures speak and warn about apostasy, 
fairly regularly. Like so many other texts, Hebrews gives us a clear warning about departing from the faith. Listen to what he says in Hebrews chapter 3. Take care, brothers, lest there may be any of you, in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now, this is a repeated statement for Paul as well. If you remember back in Acts, he forewarned when he was leaving Ephesus, he forewarned them that some of them would depart, some of them would depart from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and from sincere faith. And then he warned in the first chapter of this book that we're studying now that there would be others who would shipwreck their faith, like Hymenaeus and Alexander, And now he's using the most intense, strong word to describe the apostasy that happens in some people. He says, some are going to depart the faith. Jesus used that same word in the parable when he was giving an explanation of the parable of the sower. Uh, It's translated differently in the English Bibles, but uh, it's the same word from the original language of the Bible. He says, and the ones on the rocks, that seed that, that is cast, Uh, in the parable, the ones that are on the rock, those are people who hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, then comes a time of testing, and here's the word that Jesus uses, they depart, or as it's translated in this text, they fall away. Same thing. They weren't rooted in it, They believed it, they heard it, they received it with joy, but they didn't allow it to root into their life. And when trials and suffering and testing and hard times came, they departed from it. They they, uh, left it, they left the faith. So where is this going? I think where this passage is going is just an understanding that where there is truth, there is also untruths. And where there is something that is genuine, there is always counterfeit. I mean, in any part of life, we find that to be true. And it's that way with faith as well. In the proximity of the saved are the unsaved. Yes, within the church, there are some people who hear the gospel and receive it with joy, but they do not allow it to bring transformation from the God who is offering it to them. They fail to surrender to his lordship. They fail to engage him by surrendering their lives to him. And so in such times of difficulty, when that comes, they often pull away or depart from the faith. Now, let me be clear. Apostates do not lose their faith. They never had faith to begin with. They were never surrendered to Christ. They were never saved. They were in the proximity of, and they were hearing, and they were engaging, but they were not given to Christ in faith. And you and I need to recognize the difference in that. As one writer said, false believers ultimately show their true colors. It's just a matter of time. So the Holy Spirit expresses this reality in the, in the epistle that John wrote. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, it says, They went out from us because they were not of us. For they had, if they had been of us, they would, not have, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. So Samson and Harris are like warning shots across the bow of the church. Someone can be a singer and a songwriter and a worship leader and not know the God that they claim to be worshiping. And somebody can be a pastor or an author of a book, 
about honoring God with sexual purity only to later walk away from God and the word of God and embrace the LGBTQ plus community, that sinful revolution. You see, what I'm coming to understand is you are in this text that singers and writers and others who act like they're saved don't necessarily have genuine salvation and they depart from faith. So the Holy Spirit makes it very clear that apostasy is predictable and it is certain to happen. In fact, according to the Bible, the closer we get to the coming of Christ again, the more apostates will fall away, will depart from the faith. There will always be people who make a very temporary decision to trust in Christ, a lighthearted response to typically a light-presented gospel they have no genuine faith and surrender to the things of Christ. Maybe they don't understand that or they haven't been given to that. And such people will fall away. They want the benefits of God without having the holiness of God. And once they recognize that God demands holiness, be holy as I am holy, he says. Once they recognize that and they want to engage in the sinfulness of the world, they will fall away. They will pull away and depart from that call of God to live transformed to live under the submission of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So others can be religious and even claim Christianity without having a genuine relationship with God and they will depart. When they depart, most likely they will, it will usually be during troublesome times. So we are to grieve that, but not be surprised. And it gives me an opportunity to just pause for a moment and just recognize that Meadowbrook we need to be disciples who are discipling others. It's part of who we are and what we are to be as a church. We are to connect people to Christ and his church and we are to grow them as disciples so that they might be disciplers. You and I need to be engaged in discipling people that God has brought into our proximity. We need to guide them to good, genuine faith and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ for God calls us and he equips us and he mandates that we do that to lift each other up, to encourage one another in faith and good works, as he says in Hebrews. Therefore, we must see it as our duty to disciple the people around us. You look at the people around you and God is giving us the call and the empowerment to disciple them, to disciple one another. If you're a life group leader, if you're engaged in a life group, you should be always on the lookout. Who could you draw into the life group? Who can you invite who's unchurched, drawing them in? Who can you look to see who the Spirit of God has brought into this worship hour that you might encourage them to come into the life group hour with you? That's part of discipleship. And then enter into a relationship with them. Study the Bible with them. Pray with them. Encourage them. Encourage good works and good faith, strong faith in Jesus Christ. We have that as our duty. So if people are drawn to this place by the Holy Spirit, you and I ought to draw ourselves near to them by the Spirit's empowerment, to be disciplers, to engage people in spiritual truth and to spiritual realities. And I'll just pause to say for another statement here that's important in this section, that Meadowbrook is not deemed successful based on the number of people we have coming on any given Sunday. Our success is on the number of people who are discipling others. God has called us to be disciplers. He's equipped us 
revealed to us what discipleship looks like and so really our success is are we moving towards other people so that we might disciple them to be disciplers to engage people to that level not to not to base success on attendance so if you're new to Meadowbrook could I invite you today to take the next step just take the next step towards life group at the end of this service just step out into the guest connection area and somebody will be standing there tell them that you want to go to life group now is that nerve-wracking absolutely will you wonder what they're going to do sure you will will you wonder if they're going to embarrass you sure you're going to wonder that but I promise you this we will not embarrass you we will not identify you as being the newbie we won't point you out as if you don't belong here's what we're going to do we're going to love you we're going to encourage you we're going to invite you in we want to build relationship with you and there's not a life group in this church that would think in any other way and if there is you let me know we want you we want you here every life group in this whole facility is hoping that you'll come to them and build relationship together and be encouraged with one another take the next step today Kay and I are going to be out at cafe 59 number one I've got to finish my coffee that I didn't get to finish I'm going to get a refill on that and we're going to be out there and when everybody else is moving through I'm going to say hey sort of the the meet and greet howdy duty time for me just to just to touch as many people as possible but if you'll linger I'd love to be in conversation with you take that next step Kay and I would encourage be encouraged by you doing so and if you're willing in two weeks the next hour after life group, uh, after worship, during the life group hour, Kay and I and some others are gonna be there and we're just gonna hang out together. I'm gonna tell you more about what's happening at Meadowbrook. I'm gonna introduce you to some staff and that'll be part of the next step in a couple of weeks. We'll get through Independence Day and then the next Sunday we'll do that on the 11th. Take the next step. Now we wanna take a step towards you and this church wants you to take a step towards us. Let's meet. Let's see what God's gonna do. All right, second thing that I wanted to mention to you. Genuine people of faith, people who have genuine faith, they are not at risk of losing their faith. That is not what this passage is about. If you're thinking when you're hearing about apostates who are departing the faith, you're wondering, is my faith certain? Can I count on Christ to bring me all the way through? Listen. You will not lose your faith if your faith is genuine in Jesus Christ. I'm just so certain of that. There's so many passages in the Bible. I'm going to point out four points that I think are emphatic in the Scripture that will give you some confidence because God promises to keep you and your faith. So Paul's reference to departing faith is not about losing faith. It's about people who are close to saving faith and they leave the faith before they actually receive it before they actually get it they depart the faith so people who experience genuine salvation they don't depart from that all right here's four things that I want you to know first God gives us eternal life through Jesus and that's permanent how do I know that well look at this passage Jesus says my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me now catch this this is this is really good stuff I give them eternal life now let me ask you has Jesus ever made a mistake 
Jesus ever faltered? Jesus ever gone back on his word? Jesus ever not accomplished what he set out to accomplish? Well, he is perfect in every one of those things, isn't he? And he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. So the life that we have in salvation is given to us by Christ. And here's what he says in an emphatic statement, they will not perish. Now you can take that to the bank. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's good news. Now I'm not the strongest guy in the house, but I can tell you if you put something in my hand and I close my hand, you will not get that out of there. Nobody tests me on that today, okay? <laughs> we'll just take that as an illustration that Jesus has got us. I did that one time to students and I took off my ring, put it in my finger and I got the strongest guy in the room to come try to pry my finger. He about broke my thumb off my hand. <laughs> but I'd be doggone, I wasn't gonna give it to him. Now, if I can do that, imagine what the God of the universe who holds all things in a sustaining way to himself. Imagine that. Jesus makes a promise. I'm gonna give you life. You will never perish. Nothing can snatch you away. Uh, Kay and I have had our grand boys this past week, pretty much all week long. So if you see us a little droopy today, you'll know exactly why. I cannot wait for the holy nap that we are gonna have. We are gonna hibernate today. I'm talking about covers up on the shoulders kind of nap. You, do you have those on Sunday every now and then? Well, we need one of those today. But I hold that little one, six months old, and I hold him and I'm gonna carry him around to the point that my bicep aches. I don't ask him to hold on to me, I hold on to him. And when I've got that little two and a half year old and I'm saying, come on bud, let's go this way. I'm holding on to him. I'm not saying hold my hand, I'm saying let me hold your hand because I'm not gonna let go of him. He may let go of me, but I am not gonna let go of him. And that's the picture that Jesus has in our salvation. He's saying, I'm gonna hold on to you. It's not that I'm expecting you to hold on to me. You might let go. I'm gonna hold on to you. Now I wanna cling to Jesus and I wanna hold his hand and I wanna walk with him through the trials and the suffering and the testings and the good things of life but most certainly, I am grateful that Jesus is holding on to me. Man, do I ever need that. So Christ is going to accomplish this life that he has given to us. It's permanent. Look at the second thing. God makes us born again from above, according to John chapter 3. And a person cannot be unborn. You ever seen anything be born? What a miracle that is, right? But in all the things that I've seen born, including my sons and puppies and cows, all the things that I've seen born, I have never seen anything go unborn. Because it doesn't happen, does it? And so what God brings in us in a spiritual birth, you cannot reverse that and be unborn spiritually. It can't happen physically, and it's not gonna happen spiritually either. Number three, God begins and completes the work of salvation, all right? God begins it, and he is going to complete it. Listen to this promise. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
you didn't begin the work of salvation and you can't continue the work of salvation it began with Christ and it rests with Christ all the way through to its completion when you and I are glorified as he is glorified and then the fourth thing God our heavenly father will not reject those who is given the right to be his children so he is not going to adopt us only to reject us as children in a day in the future but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God has willed the salvation and he has made sure that that salvation is gonna be kept all the way through. God will not reject us as his children. So if you're genuinely saved, you are eternally secure. So I'm grateful for that. So what causes people to depart from faith then? Why is it that people depart from the faith? People who attempt to honor God with good works without surrendering their hearts to Christ in faith, they are the ones that are most vulnerable to never experiencing salvation and walking away from the faith. Jesus knew that this was an issue and so he was tackling it in Judaism. He was, he was moving towards them constantly about their works-oriented salvation, helping them to discover that it was genuinely about faith in him, helping them to discover that's what the Old Testament saints were doing. They were placing faith that God was gonna provide the Redeemer. He was calling them to recognize him as the Messiah, the Redeemer, put faith in God that he had provided the Son to be before them and would die on the cross, be resurrected, so that their sins might be covered and paid for and righteousness might be imputed to them. And he calls us to that same faith as we look back to the cross of Calvary. We're all saved by faith. So people who are departing from faith genuinely never had that. They, they have moved towards a works-based salvation. Uh, Paul understood that was an issue in, in Ephesus as well. And he's addressing that in this text. Quoting from Isaiah 29, Jesus said it this way, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. If you're one to circle in your Bible, that latter part is what you might circle and then draw an arrow back to this idea of, of departing. Because you depart when you have heard the doctrines of men the commandments of men that they claim are doctrines that you have to follow, you have to pursue. But they're just mere doctrines of men. They're traditions, they're practices that, that men and women have put together in ways that are an attempt to appease God. That, that is a faulty way of salvation. There is no salvation in that. And so Jesus and Paul and Isaiah and others in the scripture are helping us to identify that. Listen, when it comes down to it, you and I don't need best practices for life. We need new hearts for living as God is calling us to live. That's what we need. You don't need me to teach you best practices for Christian living. No, no, no. You and I need new hearts in order to engage in Christian life. And Jesus is offering that to us. Now the doctrines and the commandments of men are always gonna fall desperately short of being made new in Jesus Christ. So any teaching that moves us in any way other than the gospel towards salvation is a false teaching and it ought to be pointed out as such. 
So what is this gospel? The gospel is the good news that God loves the world enough to send his only begotten son into the world that he might live righteously but die a sinner's death. And why did he do that? To pay the penalty for our sin, to take our death upon himself, God's righteous judgment coming against him on our behalf and dying with it there, the penalty of all sin, and then sharing that with us, giving that so that we might be cleansed of all of our unrighteousness, only to be placed in the grave he was, and then on the third day rose again, that he might share with us the resurrection power in life, that we might live differently. Now, your faith put in God, who has provided that kind of gospel, is where salvation comes. And if it's genuine, it will be expressed as you follow under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So false teachers in Ephesus were leading people away from the gospel towards asceticism. What they were doing is trying to say, well, look, if you will denounce these pleasurable things, then you can be saved. Now, how weird is it like this? If you'll denounce marriage and certain foods, then you will be saved. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to depart the faith that keeps me from dating my wife at Cooter Brown's for some pork ribs. How about you? That, that kind of faith has got me out too. And so that's what's happening there in Ephesus. There are some who are teaching as if they are doctrines, their commandments of men, or you shouldn't get married and you shouldn't eat certain foods. And because people were given to that rather than the gospel, they departed from the faith and walked right away from the opportunity to have genuine faith in Christ Jesus. So practicing religion or attempting to appease God by good works can never compare with being made new in Jesus Christ. And that's what this text is helping us to identify. Don't fall for that. No matter how devoted or disciplined somebody may be to accomplish good works before God, everyone falls desperately short of God's glorious standard. Now go back with me to the first three verses of our text today. So the Spirit is expressly saying, and this is a big deal, this is what the Spirit is wanting to make sure that you and I hear, in latter times, in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose conscience are seared. Don't you sort of regret that Paul just uh, minces words there? <laughs> he doesn't mince words at all, does he? I mean, he just lays it out there like it is. Look at the descriptions here. Here's deceiving, deceitful demons, spirits, teaching through people who are insincere, they are liars, and their consciences are seared. They can't even determine what is good and right. They have a seared conscience. And they forbid marriage and require abstinence from certain foods that God created to be good. And certainly for those who believe, we ought to be thankful for those. So as the Holy Spirit leads people to eternal salvation, unholy spirits, lead people into eternal damnation. I've already said, now, where there's truth, there's untruth. Where there is genuine salvation, there is a counterfeit. And that's what's happening here. The Holy Spirit is leading people to be genuinely saved, and the unholy spirits are leading people 
to disingenuous faith, a faith in something that they can accomplish, a faith in something that they can do, a faith in something that they can achieve, a faith in something that they want to have. And it's a wrong faith. So I don't think any of us are gonna be vulnerable to the false teaching that would forbid marriage or the forbidding of certain foods. But not all the lies are so blatant. Probably the most blatant and common in our culture is the prosperity gospel and the word faith movement that have led so many people to depart the faith. People wrongly put their confidence in faith rather than the right object of faith, which is Jesus. Now, some, that's not easy to discover the difference. They claim financial miracles. I have faith that I'm going to be financially secure, or I have faith that I'm going to be healed, or I have faith that my relationships are going to be fixed, or I have faith that this is going to happen, or that is going to happen, and I'm going to proclaim this, or I'm going to proclaim that. And the object is faith rather than the object of faith being Jesus. And that little shift will cause some to depart from faith because troubled times are going to come. Hardships come. You know why? We live in a broken world. We live in a world that is in need of redemption. We, need, we live in a world that needs to be reconciled by Christ, and he's going to do it in its fullness. In fact, he is already working to that. So you can claim things to be different all you want, but you still live in a broken world, and you need the one in your life in which the object is Jesus who will make all things new in the future. So be careful because the father of lies is spewing through his demonic horde, through people who are preachers, bloggers, influencers, authors, singers, all kinds of people who are seared in their conscience and insincere liars in order to pervert what is truth so he's saying be careful be alert so i want to show you this um this diagram just helping you and me to recognize what this passage is saying so we recognize how big of a deal this is i'm just going to go through the progression as paul lays it out for us as we sort of finish up here all lies are rooted in Satan, right? Jesus said he's a liar from the beginning. Those are the words of Christ. That he's the father of lies, everything. In fact, Christ says everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie. We know that all lies are rooted in him, but he is working through a very structured and organized system of demons, evil spirits that are constantly propagating lies throughout the world. And they are targeting constantly for these lies to be dispersed. And they are dispersed, as Paul says, by the insincere liars, people who have seared conscience, and they are false teachers. And they are teaching people who could be very devoted, devoted but yet unyielded from the gospel. Now, the reason why we need to understand that progression is because 
Satan is a schemer who has a horde of organized spirits and demons who promote lies through insincere leaders and influencers. People who are apostates, people who walk away, depart from the faith, typically make up their mind not to depart, but to believe the lie. And in believing the lie, they chart all the way to the departing of the faith. They yield their minds to the demons who are propagating those lies back to Satan who is fueling all of that. So when a college student hears the professor who is challenging their faith with his theories and analyses, and they are challenged in their mind and begin to question and doubt it's not the college professor that's the real problem. It's the college professor who is moved upon by the demonic horde who is fueled by Satan himself. And when you're hearing the blogger or the video blogger or reading the words off the pages or the magazine or the article or hearing the conversation and it's moving you to a doctrine that is merely the commands of people away from the gospel. It's not just that person that's the problem. It's the demonic horde that's influencing that person that's rooted into the father of lies who's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And so when it comes down to it, you and I need to measure everything to the Bible. I've said it a I don't know, at least a dozen times this year. Everything that is said or sung from this platform, you ought to measure it with accuracy against this word. I can tell you I'm trying to do that. And everything that I listen on the radio that's so-called Christian music, I want to measure it against the Bible. And when I read something, I want to measure it against the Bible. When I hear something, I want to say, where is that book, chapter, and verse, please? I want to engage it at that level because the father of lies is working through a horde of demons trying to promote through insincere people who are liars that can't even justify what is right or wrong because their conscience is seared and they're constantly trying to get that out there. So you and I need to be on alert at all time. Measure everything to God's word. I have also come to recognize that most people who depart from the faith don't do it with leaps of doubt. They do it with small steps. And you ought to take everything very carefully. Small steps. Last thing. Let's test the authenticity of our faith. Second Corinthians says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Or do you not realize this about yourself that Jesus is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Now I want you to know this message today is not to cause you to doubt. This message is to move you to confidence. You can be confident of your faith. Did you know that the Spirit of God has written a whole book in the Bible for the sole purpose of you and me being confident about our faith? It's 1 John. In fact, the writer of that book, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, this is the reason why I'm writing this. This is why I'm doing it. I want you to be confident of your salvation. And the whole book is all about the authenticity test. 
It's helping us to discover, and I've given you a list of things that you might go through there in your handout. I'll flash through them very fast, but we're running out of time. People who have authentic faith, who've really trusted in Christ and have the newness of life in Christ, the nature of Christ dwells within them by the Holy Spirit, they have a longing for and enjoyment of the fellowship of the saints. They just enjoy being together with fellow saints. They choose to walk in light, in the light of holiness, rather than in the darkness of sin. Now, it doesn't mean they're perfect at it. I wish I could tell you I'm perfect at walking in light, but my wife could reset that lie and tell you that I am not perfect. In fact, I'm far from it. But I choose to walk in light rather than to walk in the darkness of sin. And when I do sin and when you sin, is it clear that you're, you're prompted by the Holy Spirit, by conviction, to confess that, to admit that that is sin and confess it to him. I'm so grateful that the Lord makes a promise that if we will confess our sin to him, that he is faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us. Isn't that wonderful of our Lord? Do you obey the commands of God? Is it your heart, your longing to obey the commands of God? Do you love God rather than the things of the world? I don't mind telling you, there are some things that I've loved of the world that I despise. I wish I didn't have the cravings. I, I wish that I didn't have the longings for it. I want to reject all that and not love the things of the world. And I want to love God. But I find myself struggling, do you? Longing for things that I've so desperately wanted to get away from but had trouble getting away from. That's the Romans 7 challenge, isn't it? Oh, there's coming a day where that wrestling match will be over the spirit and the flesh will no longer be at odds with one another God will give you and me and faith a new flesh that has never been touched or affected by sin never had a deposit of sin in it and that flesh and that spirit will match perfectly until then I'm going to find it a struggle but I want to long for God and the things of God more than things of the world do you practice righteousness and pure living? Doesn't mean that you're perfect at it, but are you practicing it? Do you have a de decreasing amount of sin in your life? Do you have an abiding love for the fellowship of Christians? Do you express love with actions rather than just having that lip service, as he says in 1 John chapter 3? Do you maintain a clear conscience? Is that evident in your life? And do you show evidence that Christ, in Christ, you are overcoming the world? Those are the tests that the Holy Spirit gives to us to help us to identify the authenticity of our faith. It doesn't mean that he's expecting perfection of us yet, but he does say that we ought to be longing for that, longing for light, longing for Christ, longing for his goodness to be evident in us. Now, let me ask you as we bring this to an end. Apostasy is, is real. And it is inevitable. But it does not have to include you or the people around you. I want you to hear that. This warning today does not have to hit in your life 
You don't have to be one of the ones vulnerable to depart from faith. You can genuinely have life in Christ Jesus. And when he gives you that life, it's a life that is permanent. He'll hold on to you. But you'll need to trust in him. You'll need to surrender your life to him. Forsake, deny all else. Following after him. I'm going to invite you to trust and treasure in the eternal security of your genuine salvation. Don't wrangle. Man, the enemy wants you to wrangle in doubt. Put on that helmet of salvation and trust that Christ is saving and will complete the salvation. What he began, he will complete. Just trust him in that. And if you're at risk of departing the faith, it's because you're pursuing God by works rather than by faith. Trust him for his gift of grace. Trust him for salvation. Don't try to work your way to heaven. Nobody's ever accomplished that. And then be honest with yourself about God and your faith. And if you're here today and you're not certain of your faith, don't toy around with that. Listen, today is a good day for you to settle that issue. Today is a day of salvation. Today is a day of faith. Come to Christ. Choose to walk away from everything else. Come to Christ. You don't have to claw and scrimp and scrape your way to the kingdom of God. God has brought his kingdom to you in Jesus Christ. Come to him in faith. Receive him. Now let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we thank you for saving grace that you've provided in Jesus Christ. We thank you that we don't have to work our way to heaven, that Christ has accomplished that work fully. And I pray that there are a number of people that you've brought into this house in order that they might hear the gospel and be saved. And for a number of others who have salvation in you, God, I pray that you would let them rejoice in the certainty of salvation. And let us be people that express the saving work of Christ in our lives, living authentically before you and others. And where you find us in a carnal way, where you find us in a step away, where you find people departing, God, in your long-suffering, draw us back that we might walk in fellowship, sweet fellowship and relationship with you. And I pray it unto the glory of Jesus, our 